Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates It's a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho Murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. The independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. The go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. We are sponsored, as always, by John T-Shirt and JohnTshirt.com. I'm your host, John Siegley, and I'm joined, as always, by Sean Moran and Sherell McMillan. Guys, we are having this podcast on basically what is the tail end of UNC's basketball season. Carolina is going to start play in the ACC tournament, and as is commonly known to all UNC fans, barring the most miraculous run in that tournament in history, Carolina season is most likely going to go ahead and end this week, unfortunately. But we still have a lot of topics to talk about, starting with the game against Duke from over the weekend. Uh, it was a probably should have been a little bit closer than what the box score said, uh, but Carolina did fall 89 to 76 to their rivals. Let's start there and just going to open the floor up to you guys, really. Just what were the takeaways from this game? We talked about a little bit off the air, but as we see it here on Sunday, you know, what are the lasting impressions from that? Sean, let's get your thoughts first, and then Sherelle, you can just jump right in after Sean. Sure. Lasting impressions, I would say, has just been the tremendous play of Garrison Brooks throughout the ACC regular season. Uh, he had another, another great game and another double-double, uh, but other kind of takeaways, once again, three-point shooting. UNC only hit hit four threes compared to this time. Uh, Duke hit 10. And really, to me, the seven assists. Uh, seven assists, nine turnovers. I think in the previous matchup, they had 21 assists. So, uh, you know, it was, it was just kind of a frustrating game to watch. Duke definitely played better and was the, the more dominant team. Uh, but there was still, you know, areas and times where you were ready for UNC to make their run, and they did get it close several times in the second half, but seemed to always exert, uh, you know, a lot of energy getting it to two or three points. And then Duke would come down and, and hit a big shot. You know, I still can't believe Justin Robinson went for 13 points uh, and four threes, including uh, two of them between the bank and then the, the one from the corner that went in, but that's how, how things go. And, and overall just, you know, frustrating kind of watching that and, and then kind of watching Duke pull away at the end. My mind immediately goes to, um, and this isn't really direct criticism, but I, I thought Cole Anthony um, had a tough assignment. And what I mean by that is the Duke guards and wings to some degree knew that if you cut off Cole Anthony, then there's not much left on the perimeter from a scoring uh, standpoint for UNC. And so there were times when he had Wendell Moore on him, who's, you know, a 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six player with an extremely long NBA wingspan. There was Cassius Stanley on him from time to time who was a uber-athletic, you know, wing who probably will play in the NBA. And then there was Trey Jones, who, deserved or not, I, I think it's deserved, but deserved or not, has a reputation as one, being one of the best defenders in the country on him um, all other times. And then he's playing heavy minutes, and he's being asked to kind of shoulder the burden as the perimeter score. And I just thought it was really a, a bad spot for him, um, and he didn't play well. 
Uh, that was the kind of game, I think Dewey said it after the post-game podcast yesterday, that they really needed him to kind of be the guy to just take over the game um, and, and, you know, uh, you do what Carolina point guards do against, you know, Duke, which is really push the ball in tempo, drive to the basket and dish for layups and dunks. And he just wasn't able to do that. And I think it's kind of remarkable when you think about it. Again, Dewey said this yesterday that Carolina was down by five with five minutes left and Cole Anthony had probably his poorest game, I'd say, since he came back because um, he didn't play it well at all. And a lot of that was due to the Duke defenders. So that's the first thing that jumped out at me. And then, um, you know, just feel like Carolina just didn't have a, that that third or fourth piece that a lot of good teams have. Like, you know, even even the Cole wasn't great, you know, you still have to account for him. And Garrison Brooks was, you know, great again. Brandon Robinson was solid. And then there there wasn't, you know, a, a lot else. Uh, Armando Baycott, played his best game in a while, but, you know, he's in foul trouble, so he wasn't able to play extended minutes. So to me, it just showed kind of the lack of overall talent that we talked about with this team, where if they just had one more person who was playing well or one more person who was more talented, maybe that's a game they could have, you know, uh, I guess closed out, but they weren't able to. And I think one one other thing to add to me, you know, usually it's UNC that is, as Cheryl mentioned, um, you know, pushing the tempo and, and, you know, getting the fast break points here, you had Duke continuously throwing the lengthy pass to a streaking Vernon Carey or somebody else and getting a layup or a foul. Usually, you know, you remember Kendall Marshall throwing to, to Zeller and just continuously beating Duke down the floor. So to have the roles reversed, uh, I mean, once again, UNC has not played to the tempo that, that they normally do, but to have Duke uh, kind of push the ball down UNC's throat uh, was a little disappointing. And, and I think it just goes to how UNC's played overall is that usually how they dictate tempo and pace has now been dictated to them. And speaking about pace, I thought it was interesting that looking at the box score, I mean, Carolina had 71 total field goal attempts and Duke only had 53. But it really did come down to that three-point shooting where Carolina only took 12 threes and made four of them, like you said, Sean. Meanwhile, Duke was 10 of 21. And then the free throw disparity was also huge where Carolina made 14 of 20 and Duke had 29 of 33. So it really was a game where, you know, Carolina probably hit a couple of the offensive numbers in terms of just attempts that Roy Williams likes to to see his team play at, but yet they just weren't able to convert. And, you know, the assist numbers were also just dismal for the heels in this game. Unfortunately, only seven total assists and nine turnovers compared to, again, Duke had 19 and Duke did have 12 turnovers, but still, it's not the typical UNC style where you only get seven total assists off of 29 made baskets. And, you know, Sherelle, I think that's just emblematic of the season. And we've talked about it many times about how this is just not your typical UNC team. So, I mean, that, that was kind of a thing that, that stood out to me is just the offense was it was very, very difficult for them to get anything going on Saturday on Saturday night. And it goes back to um, the point about Cole kind of pushing tempo when you know you have that disadvantage as far as scoring um, in the half court. They were OK, giving it to Garrison Brooks. But if Garrison Brooks was scoring, there wasn't a lot there. You have to push tempo as much as possible to try to get some easy shots, some easy buckets. And it's just something I don't know. I, I, it just never seemed to in this game and throughout the season, it just never seemed like they were able to play as fast as. Williams wanted them to and perhaps that's because of depth issues perhaps that's because of injury um but it just it didn't it didn't look like how I think Williams wanted it to look like and uh 
I think, you know, you have to look at the point guard a little bit at that. And again, not trying to um, single him out, but that was such a big stage and a game where you want someone who has his skill and his pedigree to just take over and he just wasn't able to do it. And I think since UNC is always one of the, uh, you know, at least in a high major, one of the fastest tempo teams, you you kind of take it for granted. But uh, just this morning watching Winthrop and Hampton in the Big South final, uh, Winthrop was, you know, I think they're top, top 40 in tempo, but they were pushing the ball every chance they got. And even if they weren't looking to score, it still put a ton of pressure on Hampton in that game where, you know, now they're not trying to go for offensive rebounds. They're getting back. They're walking the ball at the court. And it, it also changes how they were trying to attack on offense. So you have that that element where the, everybody's just thinking they need to get back, get back every possession. And it, and it really affects the whole game. And hopefully next year with, with Love and Davis, that ability to push the ball comes back. And then that becomes the UNC strength. All right, guys. Unless if you have any other observations or any last thoughts from the Duke game, I think we can go ahead and move on. I mean, Dewey and Tommy talked about it a lot in the post-game podcast. I thought they did a great job with that one. I don't have anything else to add. What about you guys? All good. Anything, Sherelle? No. All right. Well, then, we will move right on to the next topic, which is going to be the all-ACC selections. Those should be released on on Monday, Sherelle. Is that when those are going to come out, the, the, the all-ACC stuff? Or, Sean, do you know? I think it's usually Monday, and then player of the year, I think it's on Tuesday. But don't hold me to that. But I think that's how it typically goes. Okay. That's what I thought as well. So it's an interesting year in the ACC overall. I mean, frankly, I think you have probably some locks for the first team, like Vernon Carey for Duke. And, I mean, Garrison Brooks probably really should get some consideration there. But... I just don't really know who is going to be filling out these all ACC teams. I think Greg and Tommy and those guys talked about it a little bit on the on the beat podcast last week. But as we sit here on Sunday night, Sean, you know, who are some names that you think could be making the all ACC teams first, second or third this year? Yeah, well, I think the interesting thing will be who gets the fifth spot on the first team. I think, uh, you know, Duke will have Vernon Carey and Trey Jones on it. Then you add Jordan Nawara from UVA, and I would say most likely John Mooney uh, with with how well he scored and rebounded the ball. I mean, you have Garrison Brooks, who is the leading scorer in the ACC. You have Elijah Hughes, who is right behind him as really a high-powered wing. But do you give it to somebody like Devin Vassell, who played for uh, Florida State, who actually won the regular season? So I think that fifth spot will be interesting. I'm still... I'm going with Vassal, uh, but I think it'll be interesting to see, and I could easily see him on the the second team. Um, You know, I think going into the year, the ACC had lost, and I forget the stat, but they had lost pretty much every, almost everybody from the first, second, or third team besides Jordan Nawara. So it's no surprise to see him up there as well as Trey Jones. Then then you had Vernon Carey, who was really, uh, you know, one of the, the top freshman in, uh, and not only the ACC, but, you know, one of the top ones in the country. Uh, but then after that, it has, you know, really a lot of second or third tier type players. And I think that just goes to show the strength of, or the, I'd say the lack thereof of the strength for um, the conference. And then in terms of UVA, you know, they could have uh, Mama D Diakite, but I don't really think he is deserving of a first team either. Uh, once again, I think he's a second team player. So, 
I think that fifth spot will be very interesting. So I'm curious to see who Sherelle might think uh, will take that one. That's kind of the biggest question is, Sherelle, I mean, do you think that Garrison Brooks has done enough? And it's an interesting thing because did you feel that entering the season, Brooks would be even close to being in contention for a first team all ACC selection potentially? No. And I don't think anyone maybe outside of Lafette, Alabama or the Smith Center <laughs> would have said any, you know, would have thought that either. Um, so just uh, note keeping. Uh, so the, the awards are going to be announced on Monday morning on Packer and Durham on the ACC network. And I think that show starts at 7 a.m. So that's where all the awards, the all ACC um, defensive player of the year, rookie of the year, player of the year, coach of the year, all that will be announced there on ACC network. So if you get ACC network, you can go there. If you don't, I guess you'll just can check inside Carolina to see. As far as Brooks is concerned, I, I'm curious to see how um, the media members and selected people uh, view him because, I mean, his season has really been all ACC worthy, really first team all ACC worthy. And, you know, the talent relative to last year when maybe people had comparable numbers is very, very different throughout the ACC, as Sean said. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think he's going to. I think he's definitely deserving considering, you know, he uh, Greg Hall wrote a piece today for Inside Carolina talking about how, um, you know, he led in ACC only games, he led the conference in, sto- in scoring. And I'd wager that it's been a long time since, um, you know, someone at least didn't get second team with those kind of credentials. So I would say he's definitely second team, um, well-deserving, tremendous year. And I don't think anyone should take him making second team as disrespect, um, considering the year that North Carolina's had, they are a last place team, that counts. Um, and considering where Garrison Brooks came from, second team all ACC, um, with, you know, even in the discussion to be first team is, is a really tremendous year for him individually. Looking at the rest of UNC's roster, I mean, the only player that I think is in contention for an all, C- an all ACC selection would be Cole Anthony. I think he's going to make the freshman team, but do either of you think that Cole could maybe slide on there as like a third team all ACC type player? Sean, what do you think about that? Uh, I think you're right on being first team all ACC as a, or sorry, first team all rookie. But uh, I mean, I, I feel like he he missed just too many too many games early on in in January, and then he did have some some very strong games in February. But I think overall it was you know fairly uh, you know up and down. So I think there's a lot of other other players you know in some of the top four to five teams that will probably get get thrown on there uh, before he does. So, you know, I could see him maybe sneaking in at the end of the third, but wouldn't surprise me if Garrison Brooks is the only one, only Tar Heel slotting on. And, you know, when you finish last in the ACC, that's that's how it, it tends to go. What about you, Sherelle? Anything to add to that? No, I think Sean nailed it. That's I think that's kind of how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, playing on the last place team in the conference makes it a very, very tough sell to get multiple players on the ACC selection. And, yep, I I definitely agree with Sean there. And I think ultimately this is going to be a season where Carolina only has one player get selected to all all ACC and it is Garrison Brooks, who, as we've said, absolutely deserves it. But let me take a very quick commercial break to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. There you are, your place to go for Carolina gear. If you need anything for the spring, which is finally hitting here in North Carolina, You can find it there at their location on Frank Street, where they have been in business for decades. They have all the latest gear and accessories that you could want, whether it be basketball jerseys, football jerseys, baseball jerseys, soccer jerseys, 
anything related to UNC sports, you can find it. You can also get excellent customer service there at Johnny T-Shirt. If you can't make it to Franklin Street, you can always shop online at JohnnyT-Shirt.com. You can find that same great selection and the same great customer service. And don't forget that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders there on Franklin Street or online at JohnnyT-Shirt.com. You can get that 10% off code from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board or the Basketball Premium Message Board. So that's John T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. And let's go ahead and hear from the national sponsors as well. So stay tuned. We will be right back after this. New CBS Monday. Federal agents. Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, we got here. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. New CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent Island, we got here. Walking to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And we're back with the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. John Siegley here with Sean Moran and Trill McMillan. Let's discuss one last aspect of the All-ACC that I wanted to hear from you about, and that is the Coach of the Year. Who do y'all think is going to earn that one this year? Because Florida State did win the ACC, which I don't think they were the odds-on favorites to do at all. But then you also had Louisville that was 15-5, and and then Virginia 15-5, and tied for second. And I don't think anybody saw that happening either. So, Sean, when you're sitting here looking at Coach of the Year in the ACC, who do you think is going to be the selection for that one? I think you have to give it to Leonard Hamilton. They did win the ACC regular season, which, you know, over a now 20-game um, span is is pretty impressive. Um, you know, obviously, obviously they they had a few, uh, you know, few losses to Clemson early on, or sorry, most recently, and then Duke UVA, but for for the most part, they're pretty consistent. And the game they played earlier this week at Notre Dame, uh, where they had a huge comeback down five in the last few seconds, uh, was a was a big win. So I think you got to give it to Leonard Hamilton. I know a lot of people have been kind of clamoring for Tony Bennett, given how hot UVA has been, going from really four and four in the ACC to fifteen and five. Uh, but I think they were picked actually to finish higher than than Florida State in the preseason and once again UVA great great team defense uh but they are one of the most horrendous offenses uh I've seen and I think they were the second second worst team in the ACC in terms of that so um you know Tony Bennett I think will finish second but I think you have to give it to Leonard Hamilton due to Florida State winning the ACC regular season Sherelle what's your take man (laughs) Uh, I probably would go Tony Bennett. And, <laughs> oh, boo. I, boo. And I, I say that um, just Sean basically laid out the argument for me is that, I mean, they were dead in the water. I mean, we, we talked about this uh, offline, Sean, but just how uh, going into that second Carolina game, there was talk about UVA being on the bubble. I think they were like, 
maybe seven and five or eight and five of the ACC at that point. And, you know, I haven't lost since. And that game was a long time ago. And I know people talk about how they have a rabbit's foot and, you know, they're, they're very lucky in that they keep winning these one position games somehow, you know, in, in incredible fashion. But I, I'm a believer that at some point when you start doing something over and over again, then maybe it's not luck, it's more skill set. And I, I don't know, I, to me, it's at the point now where I'm like, well, is this part of their skill set now that they can do this? Because, you know, you just can't that can't happen over and over again unless there's some kind of systemic issue. Same thing with Carolina um, on the other end. Like, you know, we talk about all the one position games that Carolina lost. And well, to me, part of it was that they didn't believe that they could win and it became um, a negative part of their skill set, so to speak. It's like you just don't you can't keep losing one position games unless you think you're going to lose unless you're good at losing one possession game. So that's how I view it. Anyway, back to Tony Bennett's coach of the year. You know, they lost so much from the championship team. They did have some players coming back, but no one expected them. I don't, I don't think, uh, even though they were predicted high, I don't think anyone really thought that they would be where they are now with, I guess, as good of a chance as anyone to win the ACC tournament. Um, but Leonard Hamilton has done a great job, but I, I just, I think I personally, I, I think I would go Tony Bennett. Um, but it's kind of splitting hairs there because both have been really good coaches in the ACC um, for several years now, and um, both have really good chances to to make a run in March. I think. I think you both made really good arguments. I will. I would lean a little bit more towards Leonard Hamilton just because I think winning the conference was very huge for Florida State, and because I just don't want to hear any more smack talk from UVA fans. Um, I'm kind of over it ever since they won the national championship last year. So yeah, anything that can not give them joy. I'm, I'm good with at this point. <laughs> so call me petty, but like guys, let's go ahead and move on to the last topic, which is going to be UNC's upcoming matchup against the Virginia tech Hokies in the ACC tournament on Tuesday. Carolina has got the early game in that one as a 14 seed. And they pulled what's going to be an overall difficult opponent. I feel like, because Virginia Tech, even though they had a losing record in the ACC at 7-13, and 16-15 and 15 overall, I mean, they were competitive in several of those games, and they're going to play a style that's going to be very you know, difficult to really it, – it's a high variance. That, that's what I'm trying to get at here, is that if Virginia Tech comes in, they could absolutely blow Carolina out if they hit their threes, or if they miss it, this actually – or if they miss them, this could actually be a decently easy game for Carolina. And Sean, you mentioned off air that you thought this game might end up being close to a pick 'em. So, I mean, obviously the betters are probably going to feel that these are two evenly matched teams. And really, I just don't know what to make of it at this point. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I was I, I was kind of hoping for a different different matchup overall, just for how UNC slotted into the ACC tournament. I think if they're going against Pitt or Wake Forest, uh, those are going to be two easy wins, even though they went one and three against those teams. Virginia Tech, uh, I think they're two and 10 over their last 12. It really somewhat fell apart after their uh, overtime win at home against Carolina. But as you mentioned, John, this is a team that shoots a lot of three-pointers. They're top 15 in the country in terms of three-point field goals attempted. Um, And, you know, every game, over 50% of their shots are coming from three. So if they get hot... Uh, that's going to be tough for Carolina to beat, especially, you know, we know Carolina is not going to make more than, you know, most likely four to four to six, um, four to seven. And when you're going down low, getting two points and Virginia Tech's coming down and getting three makes it difficult. Uh, that being said, you know, I do think UNC is the better 
better team here. Um, so it's not a great matchup. I do think Carolina can win, but at the same time, won't be surprised if their season is over um, on Tuesday night. But, you know, then they would go to Syracuse and Louisville. And I think, you know, those are going to be very, very tough matchups. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if the team is clicking, I think they could beat anybody in the ACC. If they're not, they can they can lose to anybody in the ACC as well. So it'll be interesting. I think the run everybody is hoping for is going to be, uh, you know, a long shot at best. And, you know, the, the old motto of one game at a time is, is very apt for, for UNC right now. I think looking back at the first game is, is kind of instructive about how the second one might go. And from first from a Virginia Tech perspective, they made 14 threes. So I think you can expect that's around where they will make 14 to 16, something like that. Uh, the problem for Carolina in that game is that Virginia Tech also made 17 free throws. So between 14 three-pointers and 17 free throws, like that's a lot of points, uh, you know, that didn't come at the basket, didn't come. Um, and, and I guess in the flow of what you would call their normal offense. So Kellan was fa- fouling a ton in that game, if I remember correctly. Um, so they can't let him go to the free throw line that much again. The other thing is that, you know, Carolina played, they had four guys because they went to double overtime who played 45 or more minutes. And I'd be willing to bet that hasn't happened, you know, more than a handful of times, if ever, in Carolina history. And Cole Anthony didn't play in that game. Um, that game to me was the first one where I thought maybe, uh, and Brandon Robinson didn't play either. So they were out their starting backcourt. Um, they were coming off the first loss ever to Clemson at home. And they went to Virginia Tech and outplayed them for, you know, part of the game and went to double overtime, had a chance to win it at the end of regulation and at the end of the first overtime and it just didn't come through. Um, the thing about that game that was Im- important was that uh, Justin Pierce hit three threes and Leaky Black hit three threes. So that's kind of like gold because you don't find that that often. Um, so, all that to say, Carolina played them pretty even on the road, coming off a traumatic loss into double overtime um, without Cole Anthony, without Brandon Robinson. So I would expect that there'll be a better effort. It'll be a pro Carolina crowd in Greensboro. Tickets are very cheap. I think I saw someone get them for like seven or eight dollars. Uh, so you, you you think you'll see a good amount of Carolina fans there who you know might not n- normally be able to afford to go to a game in the Smith Center. Um, so I think they'll have that on our side. I think they should win on Tuesday. And then it just becomes, you know, how far do they go? Because I think one way or the other the season ends in the next seven days. It's just a matter of if it's Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Um, so I, I would just hope they would come out and have fun and play loose and, um, you know, kind of take it from there. Uh, but I, I do think they should win against Virginia Tech for all those reasons. Um, yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, again, it just goes back to it. This entire season has been kind of bonkers. So, maybe we shouldn't rule out five and five considering how weird the entire season has been. Um, but you know, if they win Tuesday, then Wednesday night and see what happens. Yeah. I think How's for it? Virginia tech, you mentioned the free throws and three, you know, they beat Clemson, but the three games they lost, they had free, uh, free throws, six, six and seven. So they're not getting to the line and they're just shooting a ton of threes, but as we've seen many times before with UNC's defense, if you know the point guard or shooting guard gets beat off the dribble, it becomes a free-for-all scramble, and all you need is three quick passes, and you have a wide-open shot. Um, so it's going to be very important for for Cole and, and everybody uh, to really cut off any penetration and to just you know keep them to pl- uh, taking contested three-pointers and keep them 
keep them off the line. And then, you know, the other thing for me, if, if you're going to go, go out, at least, you know, go out firing. And with that, you know, I know Christian Keeling did not play well against Duke, but he has been one of the most uh, consistent UNC players throughout the ACC season. And one of the few actual scoring options we've had consistently. And I'd rather see him, you know, getting the, the minutes or getting more minutes compared to uh, Leakey, who I know played well against Virginia Tech last time, but you really need an offensive plus, you know, to, to see how well you're going to go. So hopefully you can see Keeling and he can deliver in those minutes um, and kind of at least end his UNC tenure on a, on a high note. I think Sherelle was right on the money when he said, given how just topsy-turvy this season has, maybe we really shouldn't be penciling in anybody at this point. And especially when it comes to Carolina, who they went toe-to-toe with Duke the first time around. They played them tough in Cameron, just pulled away late. But then they also had that seven-game losing streak. And it's just it's such a high variance with this team. So with Syracuse potentially being that next game, I'm kind of worried about that because I think the Orange may be looking out for some revenge if they were to play them. I mean, Sherelle, Carolina went up there in Syracuse and really just dominated that game. But are you worried that in a matchup it could go differently for Carolina should they face that 2-3 zone again? I, I don't. I'm, I wouldn't be worried about that at all, honestly. Um, and maybe that is being naive if they were to be Virginia Tech. Um, to me, Syracuse is kind of the ideal second round matchup just because North Carolina's played so well against the zone. Um, and it doesn't matter who it is. You know, the point guards have been Joel Berry, the point, you know, it's been Joel Berry and Marcus Page and Kobe White and Cole Anthony. You know, it, it's been different people um, who have played well Isaiah Hicks, Kennedy Meeks, Theo Pinson, Bryce Johnson against Syracuse. So it's more of North Carolina system than it is anything that plays well against what Syracuse tries to do in the zone. And then you talk about, if you if you say, okay, how can they realistically try to make this run? If they're able to beat Virginia Tech, you go against Syracuse, that's not going to be a game with a ton of possessions, a game where there's a lot of um, up and down and, and movement, so to speak, just because of how the zone can slow things down and make you move the ball. And it, it just doesn't, to me, and maybe I'm wrong, to me it doesn't seem like it is as uh, intense because they're not playing uh, man-to-man defense. So there are some times where you can just kind of sit out there and wait for the ball. So um, I think that would be a, a great second-round matchup. Now, if they were to somehow beat Virginia Tech and then play Syracuse and beat Syracuse, I think Louisville is kind of a nightmare matchup for them, and I think that's where the season would end. I think I uh, I agree with that. Louisville is probably the you know the only team out of the top four would rather they not face, but at the same time, uh, you never know what can what can happen especially if you have Cole and Garrison clicking and and Robinson hitting shots from the outside but um you know it, it it'll be it'll be interesting to say the least yeah I don't even want to think about that Louisville matchup let's just see if Carolina can get through through the Hokies and the Orange first and I mean honestly as the 14 seed if Carolina does win those two games in a row and faces Louisville I think that that's a, a successful run given where they are going to come from. Anything past that would be just simply amazing. I guess if they were to somehow get past the Cardinals, Virginia is the two seed on their side of the bracket. So that would just be another matchup that Carolina fans would probably tear their hair out to watch. Ugh, it just, man, 
it is a very, very, very tough route for the Tar Heels. And I, I don't think the cards are going to be there for them to go five and five. Guys, looking at the rest of the bracket, though, let's just wrap it up with this. As we sit here before the games have actually started, who do you think is going to win this year's ACC championship? Let's just go ahead and get that, and we'll wrap up the podcast with those predictions. Sean, you can start us off, man. Uh, I want to say say Duke as a kind of a as a hedge, but I'm going to go with Louisville, despite them getting absolutely uh, blasted by by Virginia uh, JPJ over the the weekend. I think they're the the best overall team. Um, so I think I could see that, you know, I think it could easily be them or Duke in the, in the championship. All right. Final word is your Shirelle. Tell the Carolina fans who they should put their money on. I, I was going to go Louisville as well. Um, I think they have, uh, they have a really good team. They have a lot of depth. They haven't been cons- as consistent as I think they would have wanted throughout the season. Um, but I, I just like the pieces that they have, the makeup of, of their team. Um, and, playing Virginia again I think maybe they'll be um, up for that game I think they match up marvelously if they play Duke I don't think they match up as well with Florida State but uh, I think you know just the the combination of the players that they have um, especially in the backcourt the the fact that they can switch some of those guys in and out um, push tempo and just play that that Chris Mack um, style I, I, I like them you know I just like I like um just the way they play. And I know that sounds really ambiguous and vague, um, but I do. And I think it'll be a good chance for them to kind of reset and start over because, you know, they enter the season with as much hype as anyone. Um, and they're a talented team. And I, I think they'll show it um, starting, I guess, Thursday and through um, Saturday. And, and I think they'll end up winning the ACC tournament. I'm going to go with Duke kind of similar to Sean. I'm going to take the hedge and just figure that it's Duke's tournament to lose until someone actually does knock them off. For whatever reason, Coach K loves winning the ACC tournament. So I will unfortunately select them, and I will now go throw up for having said that. So, yep, I think that's where we can go ahead and wrap up this week's Coast to Coast podcast. Not a very, you know, fun one to do, guys coming off of a Carolina loss to the Blue Devils, but we got through it next week. I think we will go on a brief hiatus, and then we will be back after that, though, to kind of give final thoughts on Carolina's basketball season, talk some NCAA tournament, and go from there. So for tonight, I appreciate both of y'all talking with me. Thanks, John. And uh, if, we're, if we're not going next week, I'm just going to throw out to uh, bet against UVA in either the first or second <laughs> round of the tournament. And you should have a, a good winner right there. That is a message I can get behind. <laughs> oh, thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.